Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. It was legitimately a squeak. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Thank you, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome as always. Hello there, my friends, and good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and I do want to take a moment to thank you all for your patience with me. If you didn't see my post on Facebook, my voice decided it wanted to go on vacation without the rest of my body. I literally couldn't talk without squeaking. And then it kind of started to sound a little bit more like Kermit the Frog. Anyway, it was completely awful, but we are back now. So, y'all ready? Because it is time to bring you the headlines from all of the entertainment news sources. So today is the 11th of November. Let's take a look at some of the headlines we're going to be covering. Taylor's back in the news for a couple of reasons, and one of them is due to her new boyfriend. The new kids on the block is back as well, and they're bringing some friends with them. We've got an update to the World Series, but a serious arrest, a TikTok crime, social media break. We've lost a few friends and our weekly box office breakdown. Let's get comfy, everyone, so we can get started. I think it's time to start off with the music news. Well, my fellow millennials and Gen Xers are going to be excited for this announcement. So, not only are we getting an NSYNC reunion soon, but y'all, it's happening. New Kids on the Block is back, and they have officially announced a 2024 reimagining of that magic summer from 1990 with Donnie and Joey, Jordan, Jonathan, and Danny all set to hit the road for a 40-city tour next summer. The tour will be produced by Live Nation and, surprise, will feature special guests Paula Abdul and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Excuse me for just a moment while my inner child screams. Okay, I feel a little bit better now. So the best darn dancer and choreographer from the 1990s and the DJ are joining the boys. This actually might be bigger than NSYNC. So the 2024 tour is going to kick off June 14th in 2024 at uh, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And it's going to stop in cities like we're talking Cincinnati and Denver, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Dallas, and Toronto before they wrap up in Noblesville, Indiana, on August the 25th. Now, the original Magic Summer sold-out tour found the boy band performing in, like, huge venues. Dodger Stadium, Giant Stadium, Foxborough Stadium. This was the height of the band's popularity. Three-plus million fans were cheering New Kids on the Block during this 1990 tour in support of their number one album. 
Now, tickets went on sale November the 3rd. Hang on. Um, I need to go check the list because I need to see if they're coming anywhere near me. <gasps> Raven, we're going on a road trip in July. <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll just see about that. All right. Well, now time for some sports. So the Baseball World Series started back on the 27th of October and was between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers. Well, a huge congratulations to those Texas Rangers. They defeated the Diamondbacks, winning four games to one. Now, fun fact, this is actually the first win for the Rangers in their entire history. The franchise has been around for 63 seasons, so this is a very huge win for the fans and the players alike. And honestly, it was a pretty awesome series to watch. So the Minnesota Vikings are making a trade to address the quarterback position after Kirk Cousins' season-ending injury seems to be going around, and they agreed to acquire Joshua Dobbs from the Arizona Cardinals, and this is according to ESPN. So the Cardinals traded Dobbs and a conditional seventh-round pick that can become a sixth-rounder based on Dobbs' playtime in Minnesota to the Vikings for the sixth-round draft pick. Now, the next story I'm going to tell you, it's a mix of sports and entertainment, but here we go. All right, the Denver Broncos have not beaten the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL since 2015, but after ending the 16-game slide on October the 29th, with a 22-9 victory, the Broncos took an opportunity to troll one of the Chiefs' current biggest stars. Fans at Empower Field at Mile High shared videos from inside the stadium on social media when this happened. And what happened is it showed the Broncos, their team made an interesting decision to blast Taylor Swift's 2014 hit, Shake It Off. Okay, so what? Why is that exactly a problem, and why is that considered to be a troll? All right, let's take you back. July the 8th, Taylor is pretty deep into her era's tour and is now performing in Kansas City. Travis Kelsey is spotted during the show. Now, this is the Chiefs' tight end. During an episode of his New Heights podcast, the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis, recounted this plan to start trying to woo Taylor. And it was pretty foiled because it just didn't pan out. So he was inspired by the lyric, so make the friendship bracelets, take the moment and taste it. And this is from Midnight's You're On Your Own Kit. And fans have been trading homemade jewelry at each tour's uh, tour stop for the era tour. And Kelsey tried to really get in on this trend. All right, sounds cool. Travis apparently tried pretty hard to give a friendship bracelet to Taylor and went on to explain that the bracelet he wanted to give her had his phone number on it. Good try. But evidently, the plan didn't pan out. He said, quote, she doesn't meet anybody or at least didn't want to meet me, so I took it personal. He joked around. But he continued to address rumors and speculation by saying, you know, the ball's in Taylor's court and put out an invitation to come see him play. 
Fast forward, September 24th. Swift shocked football fans and Swifties alike when she actually spent the day cheering on the Chiefs tight end from Kelsey's suite alongside his mother, Donna, as the team was playing the Chicago Bears. And they won the game. The two was also spotted leaving the stadium together. Fuel those rumors, right? She also appears at his game on October 1st, 12th, and the 22nd. Now it's starting to sound serious because, y'all, she was spotted wearing a Chiefs jersey. But the winning streak, six games, came to an end on the 29th, and Taylor wasn't there to see it. She was actually busy prepping for the next leg of her heiress tour that starts on November the 9th in Argentina. The Chiefs were also preparing to head overseas for the international game against the Miami Dolphins, and the two AFC powerhouses played in Frankfurt, Germany. Someone on the Broncos staff, though, yeah, they got a good sense of humor. So good luck to both Travis and Taylor on their upcoming performances, and let's hope this relationship goes just a little bit longer for both of them. Now, switching gears just a little bit, Danny Serafini. He's a retired Major League Baseball pitcher and was drafted by the Minnesota Twins. Made his Major League debut with the Twins back on June, I think it was the 25th of 96. He was 22 at the time. And he played his final game with the Colorado Rockies back on September the 13th of 2007, and he was 33. But now, the 49-year-old, he's got a bigger problem on his hands than game day. The former pitcher was arrested on Friday, the 20th of October, in connection to the murder of his father-in-law, Robert Spore, age 70, and the attempted murder of his mother-in-law, Wendy Wood, 68. The alleged incident occurred June 5th, 2021, inside the couple's home in North Lake Tahoe, California. Yeah, I'd say that's a little bit of a problem, don't you think? All right. When officers arrived at the crime scene, they found Spore unresponsive on the floor with a gunshot wound and his wife injured with two gunshot wounds. Spore was pr- pronounced at the scene. He was pronounced dead. Uh, Wood was rushed to a nearby hospital and she eventually recovered from the incident, but she passed away the following year. Two-year investigation, which included like video surveillance of the home and police officers, they, decide- they zeroed in on the son-in-law, Danny Serafini. But he wasn't alone. But it wasn't their daughter. Investigators actually had their eye on a woman by the name of Samantha Scott, a 33-year-old woman who Serafini knew, though they didn't reveal exactly how these two knew each other. The video footage shows a man wearing a gray hoodie and a mask covering his face, backpack on, lurking around the property, uh, leading up a few hours leading up to this murder. But it's unclear what he who played what role, like who did what. They don't. They're not saying yet. Investigators don't have a motive yet exactly behind the shooting, and they still haven't filed formal charges, but both Serafini and Scott were being extradited to California as they're making their way through the system. So we're going to hear more about this one, uh, I'm pretty sure, because this was a pretty hot story. I'd love to know, what was your motive behind this? Uh, Where's his wife in all this? Is he even divorced? I forgot to look that up. But... Why the parents? It's really that one. I don't know. That one's really sad to hear as to what what would cause you to go after your in laws. I guess other than just you know severe dislike. The next story, though. Okay, this next one has accompanying video. 
I don't recommend you watch it if you have any kind of aversion to violence. And it's ongoing, so chances are I'm going to be back to cover more of it. Um, I did double check, and there have hasn't really been any updates to this, so let me tell you what I know. We have an American hockey player, ice hockey player, by the name of Adam Johnson. And hey, he died following a, quote, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, freak accident on the ice as he was playing for an English team called the Nottingham Panthers. He's playing in this Challenge Cup match against the Sheffield Steelers back on October the 28th. And in the second period of the match, Johnson appeared to suffer a very severe serious neck injury after colliding with a player from the Sheffield Steelers. Wait, what? You heard me. I'll say it again. I said neck injury with ice hockey. This is terrifying. Okay. Spectators were asked to leave the arena in Sheffield and the match was immediately suspended following the incident. And now police are investigating. His former team, the Pittsburgh Penguins of the National Hockey League here in the States, also paid tribute to him before and during their game against the Anaheim Ducks following the incident. And all of the players honored Johnson by sporting a special AJ-47 decal on the helmet. So what exactly happened that a neck injury like this occurred? Okay, so you have this professional hockey player by the name of Matt Petgrave who was involved in the incident. It was shown on live TV, guys, and holy crap, the idea of seeing that on live TV. From the video, it appears evident the two players were about to collide, and it was going to be an accident. I mean, they were just on course with each other. But Petgrave responded by, like, you know how you kind of kick your foot out to catch your balance when you're trying to balance on one foot? He shoved his foot in the air toward Johnson's upper body. Literally, like, okay, so you're overbalancing. You're going to kick your foot backwards, maybe forwards, maybe to the side. But dude did, like, this huge, like, karate taekwondo move towards this dude's neck. And it was towards the upper body of Johnson. And look, I'm no hockey player. But this move just, it looks so unnatural. Especially if you're trying to say, oh, it was an accident. I'm trying to catch my balance. And there were a lot of people screaming after this happened not just in horror that was bad enough but fans and onlookers alike have just for days and at this point weeks trading on hashtags such as a murder and manslaughter being thrown out on all the social medias and look i agree this needs to be investigated it's been a little bit since the incident and i know the police are working on it so i'm not expecting an arrest yet and personally speaking personal my opinion i am expecting arrest of some sort I've seen the video. I've seen the commentaries by former players, hockey players, figure skaters. What I haven't seen, though, a comment from Matt Petgrave. This is my opinion only. They've shut him up. No statements, nothing. Full stop quiet. It's probably a really smart decision considering the investigation. And like I said, it's ongoing. So as soon as I know something, I'll bring you all up to date. But there's no current updates as far as where the investigation is going it's just it's super tragic all the the tributes are still coming in it's just it looks so bizarre and according to what i read petgrave has a history of being an aggressive player that's not going to work in his favor on this i am really hoping it truly was an accident and that he just wanted to like 
maybe tap him in the chest or something to back him off. And he missed and completely, I mean, completely missed. I'm really hoping that that's the extent of it. So condolences out to Johnson's family as well as all of the fans uh, for this one. That was a hard video to watch. Like I said, if you if you don't like violence, obviously you're probably not going to be watching hockey to begin with, but don't go see that video. Um, but it's it's easy to find, unfortunately. And I, the video version that I watched didn't show like the entirety of it because it looks like they cut the broadcast, which pretty smart idea, honestly. Uh, so, you know, keeping an eye on this one because this one could turn m messier, I guess would be the best word, messier, uh, just simply because we don't know what the, the police are going to say, what they're going to find, what's going to be the outcry, what's going to be the backlash, anything like that. So stay tuned for more information as it comes out. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and go check out what's going on over in the entertainment sector. So we've got a crime on TikTok social media we're going to talk about. A TikToker that has been known as the Narco Queen was shot and killed by masked assassins in broad daylight while she was on her way to get her nails done down in Chile. Sabrina Duran, 24 years old, she kind of cultivated this bad girl persona and it proved to be pretty dang popular on TikTok. She had over half, like half a million followers and over 13 million likes. I mean, she was on there doing like makeup tutorials and how-tos, you know, that sort of thing. Just the typical stuff you, you'd see on TikTok. The footage that was widely seen starts, it's recorded by, uh, by like a bystander, I guess. I'm hoping they weren't involved, but a bystander shows Sabrina lying in the road and already she's been shot at what it seems and then there's this car that pulls off ahead of her two people get out holding guns and they open fire again six shots towards her and then the two masked people get back in the car and they drive off local news outlets in Chile reported that Sabrina was on her way to go get her nails done at this com commune outside of Santiago Chile when the attack happened and they also added that the murderers took her car they later found the car it had been set on fire sabrina had gained recognition in the world of crime by stealing cars and she operated within the drug business she had a gang y'all she'd previously faced prison time and was arrested back in 2022 because of the accusations that she was the actual leader of a local drug gang i mean is this really a thing on tiktok they're really just gonna let almost anything get posted on there jeez Sabrina had been sentenced to three years for drug trafficking and had been serving the last of her stint on this supervised release. Now, police have not publicly said what they believe the motive behind the shooting is, but in a statement to the news, they said the killing was in cold blood. However, sources with knowledge of the investigation said that this shooting was about settling scores. I can only imagine what that score might be. Something tells me it's drug-related. All right, now, in a related sort of story, um, that's a really loose connection here, but apparently Selena Gomez has decided she's going to take a break from social media. Should I do it on the phone? Should I leave a little note in the pocket of his coat? 
Back on October the 30th, the single soon singer, who is 31 years old, revealed on her Instagram story that she's taking a step back from all of her socials because she said, quote, my heart breaks to see all of the horror, the hate, violence, and terror that's going on in the world, unquote. Gomez's post comes after she opened up recently about turning her past mental health struggles into something positive. And she said this at the first annual Rare Impact Fund Benefit back on October the 5th. For those that might remember, Selena Gomez was diagnosed back in 2020 with bipolar disorder, and she's been working to handle it and manage it ever since. Seems like she's doing a pretty good job, though. All right, Hunger Games fans, I have some good news for you. So the newest movie in the Hunger Games series is the prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and it's due in theaters on the November the 17th. Now, remember, we are dealing with the SAG after strikes. So publicity has been pretty minimal. No red carpet appearances for a lot of films coming out. And it's really, you're really starting to see it in the box office. Well, this film has received an interim agreement from SAG-AFTRA, which means that the stars of this movie, Rachel Zegler, Tom Blythe, Viola Davis, Peter Dinklage, and Hunter Schaefer, are now all allowed to promote the film before it premieres in the theaters. It's not clear exactly why the agreement was granted so close to the film's release date, but... The late-breaking boost in publicity is going to be huge in helping to getting people to go to the movies around Thanksgiving. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes costs about $100 million to produce, and it represents a gamble because this is the first installment in the billion-dollar franchise in eight years, and it's the first one without Jennifer Lawrence. So far, more than 100 films, including A24's Priscilla, The Iron Claw, as well as Michael Mann's racing drama Ferrari, they've all obtained interim agreements as well amid the strikes. And to get the agreement, producers have to operate independently from companies that belong to the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, and they have to agree to two terms proposed by the Guild in its negotiations. Lionsgate-backed Songbirds and Snakes, they're not part of the motion picture television producers group so their theatrical releases are eligible for this exemption while the interim agreement's in place the cast well they're now expected to attend the film's premieres in berlin and london as well as a doing a fan event that's going to be done in los angeles all right what's this movie about anyway this is based on suzanne collins's novel the film is taking place decades before Katniss Everdeen emerged as the girl on fire in the Hunger Games series. This prequel story follows 18-year-old Snow. I mean, when this is when he's a teenager, before he becomes president, before he becomes the tyrannical leader of the dystopia known as Pan Am. And in Songbirds and Snakes, he's chosen to be the mentor to the tribute by the name of Lucy Gray Baird during the 10th annual Hunger Games, the televised event, you know, in which teenagers are chosen by a lottery system to fight to the death. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Yeah, what she said. Good luck with that. They're here. Well, Carol Ann, almost. Almost here. 
There is a series version of the iconic horror film Poltergeist currently in early development at Amazon MGM Studios. This is according to Variety. There's not a rioter currently attached to the project, but Daryl Frank and Justin Falvey will executive produce on behalf of Amblin Television. Amblin originally produced the film back in 1982, with Steven Spielberg having come up with the story, co-writing the screenplay, and producing it. There are no current plot details to share at this time beyond the fact that the show will be set within the world of the film. Now, if you remember, Poltergeist centered on the Freeling family who moved into a new home, only to discover is infested with a horde of ghosts. After the ghosts kidnap their young daughter, the Freelings work with a parapsychologist and a spiritual medium to free their daughter and escape the ghosts. The original film was a huge success upon release. It grossed about $121 million worldwide with a budget of about $10.7 million. It was also nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Original Score. They did have two sequels following, 1986 and 1988, and Zelda Rubenstein, who played the medium in the movie Tangina Barons, and Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, were the only cast members to appear in all three films. They did a reboot of the original film, and that was released back in 2015. Should this Amazon MGM Studios project move forward, it would be the second television show set in the Poltergeist world. The series Poltergeist The Legacy aired on Showtime for three seasons before airing a fourth and final season on, it was sci-fi, and that was back in 1999. The show followed a worldwide group known as The Legacy as they protected mankind from supernatural dangers. Sounds to me like if they do this right, there's a lot of really cool material that they can use. I just hope we don't get ghosted by Amazon on this because I would love to see their final product. All right, guys, it is time to download some gaming news. All right. Bad news Xbox fans with unauthorized third-party accessories. Yeah, I know you're kind of a niche group, aren't you? Microsoft has announced that they will start banning the use of these unauthorized third-party accessories on the Xbox starting November 12th. This decision is probably going to be pretty controversial among the Xbox players considering that, you know, some gamers often use unlicensed controllers, headsets, and other gadgets to play. I mean, no kidding. Look, these accessories are a lot cheaper, too. Up until now, gamers could use these unauthorized accessories on Xbox just fine. But many gamers are now starting to see the messages affirming that this connected accessory is not authorized when using the devices. And the official reason given by the company is that unauthorized hardware compromises the gamer's experience. Therefore, it will be blocked. All right. There is some goodish news, though. As reported by Windows Central, Microsoft is going to expand its program for approved third-party wireless Xbox controllers. As most of its authorized third-party joysticks are wired at the moment, this actually could be progress in the right direction. So, now let's go ahead and take a trip down memory lane.
I made a comment on Twitter the other day, or Twitter X, X excuse me, uh, that it feels like every day something or someone from my childhood or my youth you know, disappears. And all three of the memorials I'm sharing this week, well, they all hit pretty hard. We'll start with Richard Roundtree. He portrayed the iconic John Shaft across five films and a short-lived TV series. He passed at the age of 81. Roundtree died while in the company of his family at his Los Angeles home from pancreatic cancer. And while Roundtree's acting career began on stage with New York's famous Negro Ensemble Company, say that three times fast, it was his portrayal of the private detective John Shaft in the highly influential 1971 action classic Shaft that truly made him a star. Now, Roundtree's first feature film was an instant success, and his performance in it was really a pioneering one, and it cemented Shaft as an action hero. Roundtree reprised his role as Shaft in two immediate sequels, Shaft's Big Score in 1972 and Shaft in Africa of 1973. He ended up doing a brief TV series between 73 and 74, but he later came back to the Shaft series along Samuel L. Jackson in the 2000 version of Shaft, where he kind of was described as the uncle of Jackson's Shaft character. So then he comes back in 2019 and rejoins Jackson and Jesse T. Usher in Shaft again. Now, the 2019 film retconned Roundtree's Shaft character as the father of Jackson's Shaft and grandfather of Usher's J.J. Shaft. So it established that he had originally lied about being an uncle. So now the Shaft from the 70s is now grandpa and dad. Are we clear on the tree now? Right on. They said this cat Shaft is a bad mother. I'm talking about Shaft. Dig it indeed. Now, when I was a kid, we're going to go back a little bit here. My family and I loved watching episodes of Night Court. And even today, we watch the reruns. And while I loved the whole cast, because they just worked so well together, the character of Bull just stood out. Bull was played by Richard Mole from 1984 to, I think it was at series end in 1992. And he just towered over everyone. I mean, he was six foot eight. And he really gave this lovable giant personality to the character of Bull Shannon. What was that? <laughs> what? There's nothing there. I know that, but when I turned my neck, I heard something pop. <laughs> well, there goes that last brain cell. <laughs> On October the 26th, it was announced that Richard Mole had passed away at the age of 80. Now, Mold did more than Night Court, though. That's just where I knew him mostly from. But after Night Court ended, he contributed his trademark gravelly voice to actually various video games and comic book projects like Batman the Animated Series, where he played Harvey Dent. And he also appeared in horror films like Ghost Shark and Sleigh Bells. He also voiced Scorpion on the 1990s Spider-Man the Animated Series and had a couple of small parts like the Flintstones. Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy Jingle All the Way, and Scary Movie 2. Okay, but my favorite part that he did, and this one, guys, is such a guilty pleasure because the cheesiness is amazing, was the 1992 movie Sidekicks. Yeah, that one. The one with Chuck Norris and Jonathan Brandis, 
Richard Mole played the gym coach that yelled at him a lot. You know, good times. Really sorry to hear of his passing. I honestly just didn't realize how old he had gotten. Time passes so incredibly weird. This next one, though, the internet is still going crazy, and it's been over a week. Friends actor Matthew Perry passed away at the age of 54. And at the time of his death, the Friends star was alone at home after playing pickleball earlier in the day at the Riviera Country Club. Getting home, he had sent his assistant out on an errand, but when she came back, they found him unresponsive in the jacuzzi, which led to an absolutely frantic 911 call. The death is currently under investigation still, but toxicology did come back as clean for anything illicit. All right, why is that a big deal? So Perry had released this really deeply personal memoir called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing back in October of 2022. And this is where he chronicled his struggles with addiction along with the memories of his career. Perry wrote he first actually started drinking when he was 14. He said his addiction grew worse under the white-hot flame of fame when he starred in Friends. He was drinking pretty heavily during the first two seasons before becoming addicted to the opiate pain medication of Vicodin after he had a jet skiing accident while filming Fool's Rush In with Salma Hayek back in 96. During his worst moments, he would take, I think he said, 55 strong painkillers a day just to get through filming. In the memoir, he disclosed that fans would have been able to tell whether he was drinking or taking drugs depending on what he looked like. He said, quote, when I'm carrying weight, it's alcohol. When I'm skinny, it's pills. When I have the goatee, it's a lot of pills. He also said in details the time he should have died while he was in the hospital. They ran me into um, the emergency trauma room, and it was in there that my colon exploded. Well, I was put on an ECMO machine. And an ECMO machine, when you talk to any doctor, is a Hail Mary, it is the last thing that you do before people die. And there were five people that night that were put on ECMO machine, and I was the only one who survived. That's a pretty heavy thing to live with, honestly. In a separate interview with the New York Times, Perry said he'd been sober for 18 months, and he had probably spent about $9 million or something like that just trying to get sober after dealing with the addictions to alcohol and the opioids. Perry was best known for his role as Chandler Bing in the sitcom Friends from 1994 to 2004. Social media has just been absolutely flooded with people posting tributes and posting their favorite Chandler moments. I mean, he was a really funny performer, and his loss has hit a lot of people really hard. The world of entertainment lost a few good souls these past couple of weeks, and we send their families and their friends our condolences. Now, let's move on to the box office review. It's time for the box office breakdown. All right, well, here's a question for you. Taylor Swift fans have been duking it out with Five Nights at Freddy's fans for, oh, the past two weeks, with Freddy fans taking the number one spot last week. But were they able to hold on? Let's find out. 
well, Universal's horror video game adaptation fell just a little bit this week, but still took in $19.4 million in its sophomore weekend, as is to be expected over the immediate post-Halloween holiday weekend. Still lacking major competition, it did repeat in first place and became the first true horror film to win the immediate post-Halloween weekend since the 1991 film The People Under the Stairs. So with $113.6 million, Five Nights at Freddy's is already the top horror film of this calendar year so far, with only you know two months left to go, beating the final total of March's Scream 6 release with $108.1 million. Now, of course, Freddy does owe its second weekend at number one, in large part to Warner Brothers moving Dune Part 2's release out of the initial November 3rd release date, leaving this massive hole in the calendar that no major studio rushed to fill with a new release. By the way, Dune Part 2 is going to come out now, uh, currently scheduled March 15th of 2024. Coming in second place this weekend, the Swifties were held firm, and they brought in $13.5 million. This film has become the highest-grossing concert film of all time after its opening weekend alone. It's been out for four weeks, and it's gotten $165.9 million. The Martin Scorsese-Leo DiCaprio collaboration, Killers of the Flower Moon, took third place with $7 million. In fourth place, we had a new release. Writer-director Sofia Coppola and A24's drama biopic about Elvis Presley's wife Priscilla took in $5 million. And finally, in fifth place, the Spanish-language drama Radical, $2.7 million. Considering Radical was only released in 419 theaters, that's some darn good numbers. For reference, most new releases go out to over 3,000 theaters. Five Nights at Freddy's debuted at over, I'm double-checking here, over 3,600 theaters in its first weekend. So that was a lot. Coming out this coming weekend, there is a lot. This is a big release weekend. Heading the box office expectation is the new Marvel's movie. This is the one that's teaming Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, and Monica Rambeau all together. Jesse Eisenberg's latest Manodrome movie, The Holdovers, and a couple of more also will be released this weekend. See you guys at the movies. Now, I went and dug up some odd news for you guys. Let's go check out what I found. And now, for something different. Oh, Florida. The state that is known for memes and weird things and Florida man. And guess where I found our stories for today? Let's start down in DeSoto County, which is southeast Florida, known for its amazing produce and oranges and watermelons and blueberries. But now a Florida driver has been issued a citation in the county for its white Chevy Silverado. Okay, why? Well, it bears a green stripe on its side, and it shares an amazing resemblance to a Border Patrol truck, but this one is labeled Booty Patrol. The driver of the truck was cited under a law banning vehicles from having red and blue lights that too closely resemble the lights on law enforcement vehicles. Comments under the 
Sheriff's Office Facebook post about this indicated that the truck is like a show vehicle and the lights were only ever used in the filming of a music video, not on any public roads. It's been spotted in several counties before DeSoto deputies got a hold of the booty patrol. Now, the sheriff's office accused the 18-year-old driver, Gabrielle Luviano, of impersonating law enforcement and posted several images of the vehicle on Facebook to raise awareness among community members. The Florida teenager said he's never pulled anyone over, nor does he have any plans to do so. Let's see how long that sucker stays on the road. Now, does anyone here have any plans for February of 2024? If not, here is your invitation to go to St. Augustine, Florida for what is affectionately being called the Redneck Olympics. For all the games that the Rednecks play, there's some crazy events. But if you know about the Redneck ways, then it makes perfect sense. The city of St. Augustine is hosting the Florida Man Games, an athletic contest set for February where they hope to crown the first ever official Florida Man. Organizers of the Florida Man Games described the competition as, sorry, this is good, as the most insane athletic showdown on earth. And the games will poke fun at Florida's reputation for producing some of the strangest news stories involving guns, drugs, booze, and reptiles, or some combination of the four. Have to wonder. Do you have to be a Florida resident to participate in this? Because this sounds like a lot of fun, right? Okay, they're going to have an evading arrest obstacle course where participants are chased through backyards, over and under fences, with the real police in pursuit just for the authentic experience. I mean, why would the St. Augustine Police Department waste this opportunity for some real-life training, right? There's also going to be a hurricane-themed cash grab, you know, one of those wind machines that throws money around. They're going to get in there and try to pocket as much as possible because that's always a big crowd pleaser. Teams from across the state will compete against each other for the coveted Gatorhead Trophy. All right, well, what if you don't have a team? Even if you're not with one, there will be a Florida Man Games event available for you to challenge your friends all day long. Other events include the beer belly florida sumo the catalytic converter to bikes and handful of copper pipes race against time event and what i think actually might be my favorite weaponized pool noodle mud duel keep this in mind y'all ever remember watching like american gladiators where they they were standing on those those stands above this foam pit and they had the pugil sticks keep that in mind but replace it with mud and pool noodles got it All right, well, that brings me to one of the best parts. The judges, former American Gladiators Dan Nitro Clark and Lori Ice Fetrick will be on hand to judge the event. They got the Gladiators to come in and do this event. This is amazing. Tickets are now on sale, and my family and I are uh, now booked. Okay, see y'all on the battlefield. All right, so we are getting a new Kids on the Block mashup tour with Paula and Jazzy Jeff. Taylor Swift has a new beau, and he's a pretty popular NFL player. They had some crime on social media. We lost some pretty good talents, and 
there's a new king at the box office. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you that I do include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop us a comment or send us an email if there is a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment news. Remember guys, stay comfy in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. to the starter zone with amanda i am raven we thank you for your time and support without you we simply would not be please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on facebook and twitter at the starter zone have we missed something have something to say leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.